you're tuning in to an episode of Announcements on the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Here we feature sponsored content where, while I don't get to choose the guest, I do get to choose the questions, the topics, and the things discussed. While I do have some editorial oversight over this, the decision of what to do with this information is entirely up to you. Now, enjoy. Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Thank you for joining me. This is your host, Lucian. And this week we're joined by Ryan Lucchese. Did I pronounce that correctly? Perfect. Thank you. Um, And he is the president of Energy Core. And um, Energy Core is a, a blockchain project that is, how long have you been around? Uh, we launched our mainnet in April of 2018, so um, year and a half now, approximately. Okay, cool. And coming up on a year um, and a half, I suppose. You first launched as a fork of um, of Dash, correct? Yes, that's correct. So uh, we wanted to build a decentralized governance blockchain, and Dash had the best implementation of it. Um, fork in this in this space gets used in a number of ambiguous ways. So to be clear, we didn't fork the Dash blockchain, but we forked the Dash source code, um, and we built energy on top of that. And that means you had a new issuance to clarify the distinction, correct? Correct. Thank you. Yes, we started from uh, our own Genesis block, and actually, there's a, a neat story about the Energy Genesis block is. In Bitcoin, um, Satoshi put a message in the Genesis block of Bitcoin. Um, many, many people, I'm sure, are familiar with it. It was a reference to a newspaper, and uh, this message that Satoshi put in the uh, in the Bitcoin Genesis block serves a number of purposes. Um, it kind of alludes to Bitcoin's purpose, but also uh, actually has a, a way to prove that. Bitcoin blocks weren't mined ahead of time. Um, by referencing a news, you know, a popular newspaper headline, sort of anyone can go and double check. Well, these blocks couldn't have been mined before the date that's in the block because no one would have known the headline of that newspaper. Uh, so just to check my uh, my Bitcoin trivia, it was a hash of a uh, Financial Times article saying that the Chancellor of Germany was considering a second bailout for the banks. Yes. Yes, that's awesome. Um, so I, I love that that bit of history of Bitcoin. It's really cool, um, you know, looking at the Bitcoin Genesis block. Really, the the first block that kicked off an entire industry is an amazing thing. And uh, we put a lot of thought into our first block as well. And actually, we um, we wanted to achieve a similar goal of you know proving that we didn't have a pre-mine at Energy. Uh, we didn't do an ICO. We didn't do a pre-mine. We're very community focused coin. And in order to prove, um, you know, even long into the future that we didn't do uh, pre-mine, we we put a message in our Genesis block as well. But rather than going the um, the Satoshi route of using a newspaper, we actually have, uh, because we have number, a number of other blockchains now, we have a really great way to uh, timestamp public records. So what we did with energy is we put um, we took a hash of an Ethereum block and a hash of a Dash block. And the reason we chose those two is, of course, um, we were forking Dash's source code, and Ethereum is uh, an inspiration for us. We're moving towards being a smart contract platform. So uh, we chose those two. We took a hash of each of their blocks. These hashes are, um, you know, anyone can go look them up in those two respective blockchains. We took those two hashes, we hashed them together, and used that to uh, to seed our Genesis block. So. We've sort of built in a, a proven starting time of our Genesis block as well, inspired by, of course, Satoshi Nakamoto, 
um, and as well the great work done by Dash and Ethereum. So that's a really good highlight of essentially the philosophy that um, underlies energy. And it's essentially that you uh, were inspired by the specific transaction model of Dash, but you wanted a smart contract platform like Ethereum. Is that a pretty good summary of what you're going for? Yeah, yeah, it is. So um, we have, you know, at Energy, really what we're trying to do is look for always the best and most powerful ideas in cryptocurrency and in blockchain and to try and incorporate those and to build the best thing that we can. And a really key piece of that, um, of course, is funding. And there's been a number of different funding models out there from pre-mines to ICOs. As I mentioned, we didn't do either of those. Instead, we took a a long-term recurring revenue type of funding model, and that's based on the uh, decentralized governance mechanism originally invented by uh, uh, by Dash. And the way that that works is that there's a certain amount of the newly issued coins that are allocated for um, this decentralized governance system, and the master nodes have a voting process, and they can vote on proposals. So the way this decentralized governance works with energy anyone can submit a proposal, the masternodes then vote on it, and a proposal today is um, largely related to funding. And in the future with Energy 3.0, we're expanding our governance capabilities quite a bit as we move to a smart contract platform. There's some really amazing use cases of how those two things can work together. Okay, so um, I personally am not as familiar with Dash as I am with Ethereum. Um, do you want to go into some of the components of Dash that are also in energy? Yeah, sure. Um, so a lot of, you know, we saw this, this really powerful decentralized governance model, this funding model that Dash had. Um, and we, we built up on it and we changed it in a number of ways, including um, how the economics of it all work. and. But the core principle of decentralized governance remains the same. And the core principle of decentralized governance ultimately is that we need to have a way to come up with uh, with consensus about how to fund. Uh, and that really is a, a long-term type of concept uh, versus, you know, an ICO is uh, much more analogous to startup funding or startup capital. But there's no... Uh, that. An ICO isn't a long-term funding plan. It's an initial funding plan, a seed funding plan, right? And so uh, with energy, we took a bit of a different approach. And rather than focusing on seed funding and how to get started, um, we just kind of started building. Uh, originally, our CEO, Tommy, he had this idea. He saw the power of these, these concepts and had this idea and made a video about uh, you know wanting to build energy cryptocurrency. And I saw this video and thought, that isn't, you know, I was I was heavily involved in, this was July of 2017, I think. I was heavily involved in cryptocurrency at the time. I was trading and researching a bunch of cryptos and stuff. I'd never built one yet, but um, was heavily involved. And I saw what Tommy wanted to build and knew immediately this is something I wanted to be involved in because it was such a, such a powerful idea. And the idea really is that we build this funding model into energy that allows us to grow in the long term, allows us to sustain through market cycles, um, allows us to fund a team, to grow a team, and to have a large number of developers, of marketing, of business operations, um, and to build really throughout a long period of time and keep improving and keep optimizing and keep uh, driving towards building the best cryptocurrency that we possibly can. So you, um, what about the Dash model specifically inspired you to start there? They, they actually innovated the decentralized governance funding mechanism. Um, that was a feature that was brand new to, uh, to cryptocurrency and brand new to, uh, to the world, I suppose, in that sense. And Dash had this concept of master nodes, which are incentivized full nodes. Really, they've, there was a lot of great innovation that happened with Dash, and they were looking at, you know, some of the problems that are um, that we face in, in various cryptocurrencies. You know, one of so the one of the problems does... can be miners are well incentiv incentivized, 
uh, everyone wants to compete for mining the next block, but running a full node is not so well incentivized. It's something that, um, you know, really only miners need to run a full node. Everyone else wants to run a light client because they don't want to have to sync the blockchain and store the blockchain and all of this. Uh, so Dash found a way to ensure that their network always has a good number of full nodes online, and that's by incentivizing them with the master node program. And the master node program then led to uh, the decentralized governance and the treasury. And the way that that works essentially is that master nodes, which are stakeholders in the network holding a certain amount of collateral and running a full node, um, then have the ability to vote on proposals. And a proposal is really a, a piece of, of data that can be created by anyone and submitted to the blockchain and the master nodes evaluate these things and try to come up with uh, which proposals they think are going to most benefit the network. And so that could be really anything. It could be uh, we want to hire more developers. It could be uh, we want to fund some marketing initiatives. It could be anything that, that we think is going to benefit the network. And that's where um, this masternode decision-making process comes into play, is, is trying to decide which proposals make the most sense, how we're going to fund as a company. Um, it's a really actually quite a powerful model for a, for a DAO, for a distributed autonomous organization, because it allows a recurring revenue model. We have a, you know, a revenue built into the cryptocurrency itself uh, that is guided by people who are, are stakeholders in the network who are running a full node and holding on to a certain amount of this cryptocurrency. And so that's what originally attracted us to um, to Dash for to build on as our starting point. Uh, we saw a lot of ways that that could be improved through uh, making sure that we have a faster governance cycle in, in Dash it's one month and energy is two weeks um, so that we can iterate more quickly. We can kind of get feedback on whether, you know, things are working, things are not working. Um, and so also the economics. Is, are, uh, is the block reward for... Uh, master nodes, the equivalent of, um, to create an analogy, something similar to what Zcash does, in which a portion of all of the mining rewards goes to something that they ca call the founder's reward, um, that then goes indirectly to their foundation. Is that a good analogy, or it it is a good analogy because it's also a recurring revenue model. So what Zcash has built in is. You know, as a portion of every block reward, they have this um, this founder's reward built into it. And I think the reason that they were trying to do that is because what they're looking at is um, how do we fund ourselves in, in the long term? And that's a question we asked at Energy as well, is how do we fund ourselves in the long term? You know, if we, if we did choose to conduct an ICO, we would have gotten a certain amount of seed funding, but that would have run out eventually and we would have had to transition towards some longer term funding model. Um, so rather than go that path, we decided to uh, to build that right in. Now, the masternode rewards and the uh, decentralized governance are, are actually two, um, two different pieces of the block reward, two different uh, ways that new coins get created. So uh, with the masternodes, masternodes are incentivized for running a full node, essentially, and holding on to a certain amount of collateral of 10,000 energy. And a master node has to provide a certain level of service to the network as a full node, um, you know, meaning that it has to be online a certain amount of time. It can't just be a full node that somebody brings up once in a while. It has to actually be a, a node that people can connect to and interact with. Um, and uh, not only that, holding on to this 10,000 energy collateral, it gets locked. So that's um, sort of a way to ensure that this full node is not only um, is online a certain number of time, but also is a is a stakeholder in the network, and so that is essentially what a master node is. And master nodes are, are rewarded as part of the block reward. Um, Forty percent of our new coins go to master nodes, and so that's uh, a pretty highly incentivized. Um, so does that mean that sixty percent of the new coins goes to um, the equivalent of the founder's reward or to the company? Um, I actually don't know your economic structure. Um, if you could explain on that a little bit as well. Yeah, absolutely. So 
at energy we have um, the economics of all this is something we thought very deeply about and it's really a key component of our design uh, and like anything it can be optimized so uh, but what we found so far is something that is, has worked very well for us is we've broken down the block reward essentially as follows uh, we have 10 percent going to um, the miners originally now it's to the stakers we transitioned to proof of stake earlier earlier this year um, or yeah i think it was earlier this year um, and then so 10% to the stakers, we have 40% to the master nodes, we have 40% to the treasury or decentralized governance system, and then the final 10% goes to the energy backbone. So the energy backbone is um, essentially most analogous to the founder's reward. That would be um, something that goes to Tommy, who's our, or it's managed by Tommy anyways, um, who's our CEO, and he was the one who originally had this idea to build this in the first place. Uh, the master nodes is uh, not something that we as a, as a company manage. The master nodes are entirely managed by individuals. Um, anyone with 10,000 energy can start up a master node, and that's um, where the decentralized and decentralized governance ultimately comes from. There are stakeholders, there are community, um, and ultimately we're accountable to the master node network for how we allocate our funds. Um, and the work that we're doing. So the master nodes are, in a big way, they're a care, caretaker of the network, and they're also the foundation of the DAO. The master nodes are, um, you know, in a lot of ways, they're anonymous. We don't know who is running the master nodes. Like I said, it's something that we as a company don't run master nodes. Um, there are individuals within our company who may, but we as a company do not. And they're, uh, they're our caretakers of the network. The 40% that goes to the decentralized governance of the treasury, that's uh, funding that is alloc allocated for uh, paying out these proposals that the master nodes are voting on. So that essentially between the master nodes and the treasury, 80% of our new coins um, are going to the, to the DAO and to the uh, funding of the network. The 10% that goes to stakers, uh, they're providing our first tier of consensus. So really the master nodes can be thought of as a, as a second tier of consensus services. Um, just like in Bitcoin, we have the miners are receiving 100% of the block reward and they're providing uh, consensus as a service, essentially is what, what my Bitcoin miners do, is provide consensus as a service. Uh, and for that, they get paid 100% of the block reward. In energy, we have 10% goes to stakers, which are providing essentially the same service that miners would provide in Bitcoin. 40% uh, going to Masternode, which is uh, providing a service of tier two consensus, including um, some transaction processing, some vote processing, um, and running a full node. And then there are 40% going to the decentralized governance and then 10% to the backbone. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, it's essentially um, a structure that supports a much larger organization on top of your network besides just the miners providing security. Um, I'm also kind of curious about the economic makeup of the, um, the organization. So I'm assuming that um, the people who operate the masternodes are since they're anonymous, they can be either an individual or a uh, an entity, but you basically don't have direct, uh, you obviously don't have direct control of them, but you don't also have direct, uh, like, privacy. Uh, sorry, you don't have a direct view into their organization as well. Is that correct? That like, is you correct. don't know so, who the uh, miners are, essentially, the uh, master nodes. That's, that's part of the organization. But then your organization itself, are you set up as a foundation? Are you registered in the United States? Are you a company? And are you personally employed by, um, you're employed by Energy Core, in a way, or you're yes, managing it? Correct. Okay, so is Energy Core a company? Or is it a foundation? Uh, I know it gets really weird in the blockchain space because like Ethereum has the Ethereum foundation out in Switzerland, right? 
but at the same time, it pays its developers through a specific mechanism, either through a grant process issued by the foundation or something similar. And it seems like every organization has their own take on uh, the decentralized governance. So I was wondering about like the kind of legal structure wrapping the company um, and the network. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a cool question because there's um, this is a key area of innovation in blockchain technology. Where uh, you know, thanks to having decentralized payments, thanks to um, you know the this whole financial revolution that Bitcoin kicked off, um, we're able to build and to structure companies in new ways that were never before even possible, which is amazing and is going to. Uh, going to fundamentally change the world in the way that we do business. So ultimately, the way that we're structured, energy cryptocurrency is a DAO, a distributed autonomous organization. And it is a DAO that is governed by the masternodes. That's built into our software. That's something that, um, you know, like you said, we don't know who runs the masternodes. Anyone with 10,000 energy can set up a masternode and, and participate in this process. And in fact, um, participation in the process and, and having the governance be distributed and autonomous um, is a really key part of the overall all structure. So ultimately, energy as a cryptocurrency is managed by the masternodes. Um, there is a company called Energy Core, which is a company incorporated in the British Virgin Islands, um, who employs now 50 people um, that Ultimately, Energy Core is contracted by the masternodes to do work for the purpose of furthering energy cryptocurrency, whether that be development or marketing or some other sort of uh, business operations. And that is funded through our treasury model, which is this recurring system. So um, every two weeks, we have a uh, what's called a treasury cycle. And the treasury cycle is the point of it is to have a voting deadline, essentially. Um, and so the masternodes vote on whatever proposals may be relevant to the upcoming cycle. And at the end of the cycle or you know, past the voting deadline, uh, those new coins are, are paid out. And so that's the way that Energy Core is funded. And ultimately, you know, I said earlier that we're accountable to the masternodes. Ultimately, that's, that's how that works is uh, we have these masternodes voting on proposals, which currently, um, since we've been doing a good job and everybody's is happy with the uh, things that we're accomplishing, um, the masternodes are voting to, to fund Energy Core through this proposal mechanism. So how big is Energy Core as an organization? I couldn't help but notice that you have quite a lot of people working on it. Yes. it's. Uh, it really shows the power of this decentralized governance and treasury model. We have managed to grow to a team of 50 employees. Um, That's a which is, very is phenomenal. big and, blockchain team. <laughs> and yeah, how many of them uh, are developers? And what's like the company breakdown? Yeah, so um, let's see here. I don't have great numbers off the top of my head, but... Off the cuff uh, is fine, just whole, to give a... Give an idea. Yeah. Um, oh man. Well, what I can say is that we have on um, we have we publish these this information. So on our website we have um, energy.world/treasury-history, and uh, you can get to that from from the menu, the menu if you go to energy.world. Um, we publish the results of our, our treasury cycle. So uh, what that means is. Um, Energy Core submits a proposal to uh, to the network that gets voted on by the masternodes. When it gets paid out, uh, we publish information about how we then sub-allocate those, those funds. So we have uh, 50 people currently, and of those 50 people, uh, we have various departments, including development, marketing, business operations, community management, energy defense, which is a pretty cool uh, thing that we're able to build as a uh, cybersecurity infosec branch of our organization with the purpose of protecting our community. Um, that I think is something that is a, a key thing we're able to build thanks to the power of our, our treasury and 
I expect that uh, defense services will start to become industry standard in the in the future. Uh, but so I just pulled up our our treasury history page, and currently, uh, well, just going over some numbers from the last um, our last treasury cycle. We had seven contributors in development, nine in operations, 13 in community management, uh, five in energy impact, which is a, a philanthropy arm of our organization as well, uh, one in human resources, seven in marketing, and, and two in energy defense. Um, so we have all of these details are published on our, our website. Um, there you can see exactly the breakdown of, of how we allocate all of our funds, um, transparency in a, in a decentralized autonomous organization is of, uh, of key importance. So, you know, we don't publish uh, um, things that would impact our ability to do good business. So things that may affect certain negotiations or something like maybe we're um, negotiating with an exchange or anything like that. Um, we don't publish the, you know, too specific of details that would, that would impact us in a negative way. And you're also uh, not allowed publish... to announce a potential exchange listing if it hasn't happened yet. Um, <laughs> that's yeah. It, I don't know if there's a exactly, law against exactly. it, but it definitely would sound. Yeah, there's like, there's certain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's um, certain things that you know we might be under non-disclosure agreements or something. You know, um, like an exchange listing ahead of time is a great example of that. You know, it's something that we're always working towards. Um, at Energy's new exchange listings, we can fund that through our treasury as well, uh, and it's something that we're we're always working towards. But we can only publish so much information about because there is another party involved. There's probably no disclosure agreements in place, um, and in that case, you know, we may just publish it as uh, integration number five or something. You know, it's some kind of a, a integration with a third-party service, but we can't really say exactly what it is. Okay. Cool. So the term decentralized autonomous organizations or DAO uh, was definitely made famous or you can say even infamous by Ethereum. Um, and I'm personally super excited and positive about the types of organizational changes that they can bring. Um, so let's talk about how you are now planning on transitioning the uh, community from a um, from a Dash-based cryptocurrency, which is a UTXO model cryptocurrency, to a smart contract platform similar or based off of Ethereum, which is an account-based cryptocurrency. There are fundamentally different in the way they're uh, they're architectured and I found it really interesting that you're uh, you're undertaking quite a big engineering feat in making this transition yeah thank you um, that's a really exciting topic and something that is uh, coming up soon or nearing completion on, on development of that we have it roadmapped for uh, fourth quarter of this year for when we actually do our mainnet migration um, and it's a really tremendously exciting thing that, to my knowledge, has not been achieved before. Um, and the reason that we ultimately wanted to do it is uh, because a smart contract platform is one of the most powerful ideas in all, all of cryptocurrency. There's just so many cool things that can be built on a smart contract platform. The whole Ethereum DeFi movement is... Uh, is the foundation of revolutionizing finance. It's something that is going to uh, just be continuously built upon and built upon until um, until the financial world of the future looks almost unrecognizable to uh, to the financial world of the past. As tremendous improvements are are being made in that area. So, becoming a smart contract platform has has always been a part of our vision. It's something I mentioned before that we. Uh, snuck an Ethereum block hash into our Genesis block and a Dash block hash into our Genesis block. So uh, we chose Dash to start with because of the funding model. When we have this treasury and have this funding model in place, that allows us to uh, expand as a, as a team, as to grow our strength and development. Um, and through that, we have, uh, because we're you know able to fund full-time developers and 
very talented full-time developers, which by the way, uh, we are hiring. So any developers who might be listening to this, please visit the join our team page on our, our website if you're interested in working with energy. Uh, but we were able to fund some, some pretty great development efforts. And out of that uh, came this ability to do a chain, you know, a chain migration essentially. So as you mentioned, um, Dash is based on Bitcoin, which is a UTXO model, and Ethereum is an account-based model, entirely fundamentally different beasts. And they're, uh, it's not an easy undertaking, I, I would say, to, uh, to move, move blockchains in the way that we are. But we've come up with a way that we can do it that is trustless, is decentralized. It's not a token swap. It doesn't require you to send coins anywhere and receive coins from someone else who's processing a queue of requests. It's, it's nothing like that. It's actually built right in, in a, in a trustless and decentralized way that means you uh, you never have to leave your private key or send, send funds anywhere or give up private keys or anything of that matter. Um, so Out of curiosity, the way that we accomplish this. It does. Yeah, uh, it's a really... Does Dash use the same signature scheme as Ethereum? Like, does it still use uh, the same uh, elliptic curve, at least? Yes, exactly. And that's that's the key to being able to accomplish this, is um, both Dash and Bitcoin and Ethereum are all using the same elliptic curve. There's uh, There's really significant differences in how, you know, what a balance is, what a you know, what a transaction is, what um, how we sign and represent transactions. There's there's very significant differences in. But the fundamental insight that allowed us to accomplish this is that the same elliptic curve is used. So we dug deep into the cryptography here and implemented a way to um, a way to validate essentially what would be a, a dash signature on Ethereum. And because of that, we can now build into uh, right from the start, we'll build into our new Genesis block the UTXO snapshot of uh, a certain block which has yet to be announced. And uh, we'll build that right into the Genesis block on our new chain. And there will be essentially um, what is a migration process. And so the migration process would be one of the key differences in a, you know, a UTXO scheme versus an account scheme is how a user expects to interact with it. Uh, a UTXO based blockchain, you would expect that you your wallet probably contains a tremendous amount of addresses. And of those tremendous amount of addresses, your funds are probably split among those tremendous amount of addresses because every time you do a send, uh, the remaining leftover from your previous UTXO ends up in a new change address. It's a fundamentally different way that we expect to interact with an Ethereum wallet. We expect that we just have one address and that you know, we have a, a balance on it. It's an account-based system, as you said. So um, to make this transition for users, essentially we'll have a, a sweep system, um, which will go through all of your UTXOs that you claim and then sweep them to a new Ethereum account. Um, and that will be done, of course, by validating Dash signatures or, or signatures with the same private key um, that would be, that you had in, your, in our current generation of wallet in order to sweep them to our next generation of wallet. That might have the additional side effect if people had um, dust left over in balance in remaining wallets that essentially were smaller than the gas fee of uh, actually creating a transaction and it all gets swept up, as you were saying, into a single account balance. Um, but yeah, that's it's yep. very interesting. But there's also very different scaling issues, right? So the the masternode architecture of Dash specifically allows for fast transaction times, fast throughput, um, and Ethereum essentially is currently, in its current implementation, still built off of proof of work. So there's no proof of stake system. Are you essentially taking a Ethereum 2.0 approach and keeping parts of Dash that you like or are you taking all of Ethereum in order to get the smart contract functionality and upgrading to proof of stake once Ethereum 2.0 is closer to be ready? We have implemented proof of stake on our um, on our next gen platform. So 
we do have an implementation of that. And oh, also, actually, the, the master nodes are a really interesting piece of this whole puzzle because uh, the dust problem you just mentioned, we actually have solved as well thanks to uh, the master nodes. Because one of the things that master nodes can do, as I mentioned, is provide a second tier of consensus. Um, and so we're actually able to uh, to validate these claims through the master node network, um, essentially for uh, for free gas. So if you have uh, maybe you have a very small energy balance or you have a energy wallet that is highly fragmented and has a lot of dust balances, um, that actually can be processed for you by the master node network in order to accomplish this this sweep without you paying a tremendous fee in gas and in, in fact paying any gas at all. Um, there are, you know, of course, larger balances. We'll need to pay gas to get some some of these things rolling. We'll need to get the master node network bootstrapped and online and able to process um, these things. But because it's built right in, there's no uh, there's no time limit. It's you know I've seen a lot of uh, coin swaps or coin migration where the, the there's a certain time limit on it, and usually that's because um, there's some some level of manual processing that has to be done. And since that's not the case with ours, you know, if you uh, are holding energy today and, and forgot that you were for some reason, um, you could come back five years from now and claim your coins. It won't, will ensure that they won't be lost. Um, but so there's yeah, the a network is a sorry, good. Yeah, I, I was going to say um, there's a bunch of ways that you can do proof of stake using Ethereum, right? There's a lot of flavors of the way it's currently being attempted. I'm more familiar with the way people have been doing it uh, as a layer two solution, right? So I'm thinking of Cosmos using Tendermint or um, the XDAI chain made by POA network using a bridge contract. And essentially there's validators that act as masternodes running their own Ethereum uh, powered by proof of stake. So. Um, could you go into more detail on how you keep proof of stake and bring Ethereum? And actually, I think a really important question is, are you going to be connected or rooted to the Ethereum main chain in any way? Yeah, really, really great questions. Um, so the proof of stake implementation that we've chosen is an on-chain um, proof of stake model similar to the one that we have currently implemented. Um, we did this specifically because there it allows us to also implement layer two proof of stake solutions um, instead of kind of like marrying us to a, a layer two proof of stake solution in some way. So what this means is uh, one of the things that you know a lot of people would, would really love is um, to have offline staking. And because we have, in our current implementation, our current generation blockchain, because we have an on-chain staking model, uh, you do have to run a full node to stake. Your full node has to be online in order to stake. Uh, and we did this the same sort of system with um, with our next generation blockchain as well. It is an on-chain um, staking that requires running a full node, requires being online, but actually then implemented delegated proof of stake as a uh, contract on top of that. So um, what's most important to us at, at Energy is that we are a community-focused coin and making it able um, for people to participate and easy for people to participate is something that is very important to us. So um, currently with Energy, the, you know, the minimum stake requirement is just one, one energy. Anyone can stake with one energy or greater. Um, and that's because we wanted to increase our, our level of participation. So. With our next gen as well, we'll have, you know, regular on-chain staking, which has the benefits of uh, being accessible to anyone. Anyone who you know can run a full node is a truly, uh, truly distributed system. It's not, not in some way managed by the master nodes. We specifically wanted to avoid having it, uh, having it managed by the master nodes because it kind of breaks the abstraction between our tier one consensus, our tier one level of consensus, and our tier two level of consensus. The more that we have sort of distinct responsibilities for these things, the better we can do a job of designing what the various roles should be of these uh, the services provided by these roles and 
uh, how they should be incentivized. So that's how we implemented our, our proof of stake is as a on-chain staking mechanism. Um, it is a new implementation. It's not, uh, it's not an implementation the world has seen before, but it is a new implementation, of course, inspired by, uh, by the great work and research that's, that's come before us. Um, so we have a brand new proof of stake implementation as well as delegated proof of stake on top of that. I'm I'm curious on uh, what kind what inspiration um, did you base off of the layer one proof of stake because that's actually a lot more rare than layer two solutions mainly because most people maintain uh, interoperability even if you look at the Cosmos network for example you are required essentially to stake Cosmos tokens on the layer one blockchain in order to be able to run your own independent validators in layer two, right? And this has the added benefit that your token would be accessible from decentralized exchanges amongst other things. So um, what was the inspiration or the model for the layer one proof of stake? Yeah, I would say it's, it's probably most similar to um, like a pure coin style proof of stake, uh, where there's you know a stake modifier, there's a special transaction on the chain, a special stake transaction, um, similar to how we have a like a Coinbase transaction or something. But that would be probably the most similar implementation of it. Of course, there's um, because it is a, an account model and not a UTXO model. Of course, there are some significant differences there. But being able to, uh, for anyone with, you know, even with a small balance, to be able to fire up a full node and start staking and not be dependent on a certain number of validators was something that we, um, that we wanted to achieve, I suppose. And it's because we have these validators already, you know, providing our, our second tier of consensus through the Masternode network, um, having that separation of concerns really is a um, good way to define what the roles should be, what the responsibilities should be of the various service providers and participants in the network. That's really cool. Actually, I've never heard of uh, PeerCoin per se. Um, and it's really interesting. You're basically innovating on the consensus layer of core Ethereum. And now I'm curious about what inspiration uh, you're drawing for the Layer 2 solution as well. Is there a specific yeah, so, model that you favored uh, more? Because these I think I'm more familiar with, actually. Right. So for, for our Layer 2 solution, it's actually um, once you have like a Layer 1 proof-of-stake solution, uh, it's very simple to do to do a Layer 2 solution. So it, it actually... Uh, is not not a tremendously difficult thing to achieve given the way that our, our layer one solution works. Um, essentially, the you know the simplest way to think about it is uh, that we have you know a number of block producers that can then be uh, voted on, and these block producers are interacting with our our layer one um, staking solution. But the yeah the delegated proof of stake is just a I guess it's just a voting contract for uh, for block producers, and that will allow people, you know, the benefit of offline staking if they want to participate in this without um, even at, at you know very low values, or if they want to participate in this in a way that is, uh, I guess, similar to a staking pool, but decentralized and more secure, and not something that you have to give up your private keys for. You can interact directly with the with a contract. Um, so that that actually was a the way that we implemented our first layer solution made uh, delegated proof of stake a very easy thing to build on top of, um, on top okay. of that. And then, nice. That's yeah. actually really interesting. So it's essentially a way to um, to allow for off-chain consensus that basically uses the advantages of the layer one that you already have. And is uh, is the um, layer one solution also building off of the existing master node architecture you might so have we, said that we already. do have um yeah we do have master nodes built on top of our uh on 
basically on our new generation of blockchain, they okay. are in a lot of ways separate from uh, from the whole proof of stake. And so, mm. you know, I mentioned that we wanted to kind of carefully define some roles here um, so that we can best optimize how to incentivize the various roles and what the responsibilities are of the various roles. Um, and so we have our, our master nodes run essentially completely independent of the of the staking system. Um, and their job is, as well as the job that they have in our current generation blockchain, they are responsible for uh, managing the treasury, the proposals, the voting. They actually have a really super amazing feature um, that in many ways was inspired by Tezos. Uh, so Tezos has this awesome feature of being able to upgrade parts of their consensus without doing a hard fork. And that's mm -hmm. through their decentralized governance model. Uh, our next generation of, of energy as well has that. And that's something that would fall in, for example, the master node responsibility and not the, uh, the stakers responsibility. So the master nodes are able to upgrade core pieces of our consensus to move our network forward so we can continue development in, in ways without doing a hard fork. Um, and that, that allows us to iterate more quickly and to, uh, to develop ways that are, you know, new features and optimize existing features and at a rate that, um, that we haven't seen before really in the entire, in the entire crypto space. I think it's kind of, from my perspective, it feels like we've been, you know, plodding along on a dirt road with a horse and buggy, and we're just about to get into a Lamborghini and hop on a four lane highway. That's, that's what it feels like to me because we're able to, to do some of this um, amazing development now through uh, decentralized governance and consensus um, that, that would have been very difficult to achieve in the past. Yeah, it's uh, definitely interesting in how you've selected um, the as various aspects, essentially, how you previously went from the masternode architecture in Dash, and then you basically took parts of it and now are re-implementing the consensus layer of Ethereum, which has been very difficult to scale, um, especially without them kind of taking the direction of um, parts of the masternode architecture that you've inherited from Dash as well. But it seems like one part that I've misunderstood in the architecture is that the layer one solution, the masternodes in the new architecture aren't the only thing that are part of consensus. They're part of um, the changing the consensus, but they're not the only stakers. Is that correct? Are there more validators on the base layer beside than just the um, masternodes in the new architecture? Yes, that is exactly right. So we have huh, um, interesting. You know, before when I was talking about how on -chain, many on-chain staking. Okay. Um, this is this is what's cool about on-chain staking is anyone can produce a block. You don't have to be a validator. You don't have to win over votes of the network, and that that gives us a really powerful thing in that um, it makes the network more resilient, more distributed in, in some sense. You know, one of the things that we really like about distributed systems is that they're resilient. Um, you know the worst, the worst case scenario for a cryptocurrency uh, that is producing its block through a, a validator-only type of mechanism would be that all of these validators are like hosted by you know some hosting company and maybe hosted in the same region, and anything anything bad could happen then. You know, uh, natural disaster affects this region or something. Maybe that the whole hosting center goes offline, and now the network is left without validators and has to reestablish consensus. There's probably gonna be chain splits in the meantime. Um, that's, a, that's a level of resiliency that we, that we wanted to have is avoiding some of these potential problems. And so that's why we went with this on-chain um, staking mechanism is because anyone can produce a block with, even with, if you have one energy, you can come along and produce a block. Now, of okay, course there's but to, typical to consensus. draw a parallel to, um not to name names, but EOS, <laughs> um, they have 21 <laughs> validators. And the reason that they have 21 validators is because their architecture, the 
communication that is required to keep all of the validators synced and the overhead and the amount of power that these um, these nodes essentially need to operate limit it to 21 because if you go past 21 then the whole system just breaks down uh, because it, it just doesn't scale very well with their number of validators specifically so people on their network are able to still um, vote for who is a validator but because of their base layer consensus mechanism it can't scale in the total number of validators besides these 21 uh, nodes which let's be honest they're probably all being run on AWS um, so how does how how does uh, I think the semantics of what it means to be a validator um, or a block proposer are kind of important here, right? Because if you do have a scalable um, layer one solution built off of proof of stake, then I think there might be a semantic difference of who's a validator, who proposes new blocks, who essentially orders transactions, and then finally who actually makes um, who gets tokens for actually committing that block to the new canonical chain. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, as we often find in, in engineering problems, there's a lot of things that uh, that sort of exist at a trade-off, at least until some more creative solution is found that can circumvent the obstacle entirely. Um, but we often find this, you know, with, with engineering problems that we have, uh, you know, the success of one aspect is to the detriment of another aspect. And so we try to find, you know, where's the optimum balance in between? Where can we... Um, achieve a good level of scalability, but also a good level of resilience. How do we build something that is that is most optimal um, while taking into factors of the various trade-offs that we're stuck with? And, you know, what we've done with energy essentially is we we have built a system uh, with, our, with our next gen energy 3.0. We've built a system uh, that is highly resilient because anyone with one energy um, can produce a block. And we have built a system uh, that is also scalable because we've taken a different path on scalability um, than some of the other solutions out there. So uh, the master nodes in particular can help with the scalability of the network. They're sort of um, the interaction between tier one and tier two consensus. This is a very difficult problem to solve. And of course, there's a, you know, it's a booming area of research and, you know, all of these consensus mechanisms and blockchain scalability and, um, there's just so much really cool research that's being done in, in these areas right now. It's something we keep our, our eye on very closely, but um, essentially the approach with Energy 3.0 is to uh, to take a two-tiered approach and to define the responsibilities carefully so that uh, from the two tiers, the shortcomings of one approach can be compensated for by the other. Okay. And... Um, by basically, I don't know, for lack of a better term, load balancing between tier one transactions and tier two transactions. Um, can your tier two transactions communicate between the various validator chains? Uh, or does anything that goes like between the uh, layer two chains actually have to go through layer one? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So like, in Dash, there's an implementation of instant send, and the way that in instant send is a, a really cool um, scaling solution that we inherited from Dash. And the way that instant send works is that there's a, um, a UTXO lockup that can be determined by, by the master nodes. So ultimately, if I want to send an instant send transaction, it locks that entire UTXO and um, the master nodes are able to quickly validate this transaction. And ultimately, it ends up back on chain. It gets mined into a block through the regular, uh, through the regular process. But in many ways, the master nodes are processing transactions ahead of time, like a pre-verification almost. They're processing transactions ahead of time um, before they get ultimately mined into a block, because as we know, the you know, space on a blockchain is a scarce resource, right? The cool thing about this is that uh, I think the key insight here is the the economics of all of it. So 
you know, when when do we see that transaction volume on chain is often correlated with um, with demand for a particular coin? So, uh, as you know, we've seen in, in the past a number of times, um, as the price of Bitcoin rises, as the price of Ethereum rises, the transaction volume tends to be highly correlated to that. Uh, and master nodes, in general, because they're uh, incentivized as you know by part of the block reward to be a full node to participate in this process, um, the higher the transaction volume should then affect uh, essentially the, the higher demand um, for transactions in turn creates higher demand for master nodes because um, people want to run run master nodes to take part in, in some of that high demand. So uh, that sort of economics is really like, a, um, you know, people might ask what's the transactions per second or something and it's really a difficult question to answer because there's you know there's the on-chain transactions per second and then there's a uh, you know a, a second level of transactions per second which um, practical limits we have not run into yet uh, because of the sheer processing capability of, of the masternode network without having to build it into uh, into a chain and then the ultimately the um, Question is, how many masternodes do we have? Mm -hmm. How many masternodes do you have? Uh, currently on Energy, I think there's about 800, uh, 800 masternodes. So that seems like a, a pretty good number. Of course, I expect it will grow. We're about um, coming up on a year and a half old on mainnet. And because we have a uh, linear emission schedule, we don't have a halving or we don't have a reduction in our, our coin emission, we have just a perfectly linear emission schedule. I expect that, of course, that number will, will always increase. Interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting architecture. And I mean, it's uh, a year and a half um, is like <laughs> an eternity for a public blockchain in a sense, because it definitely tested <laughs> your security mechanisms. It I mean, <laughs> a year and a half was enough for you to change the base blockchain. <laughs> so I could only imagine the type of engineering work that's gone into um, the types of uh, decisions. And it's also very interesting how you've um, kind of grown alongside uh, decentralized finance, DeFi, in the Ethereum community and how you've come to kind of realize that there's a, a major untapped potential within that. Um, it's, yeah, it, it's very interesting how you've experimented and you've basically made this independent assumption um, and assessment on the various pieces of the cryptocurrency community. Because even within this like past hour that we've been talking, you've talked about Tezos, um, Peercoin, uh, Ethereum, Dash, and then that doesn't actually like completely summarize what it would mean and the research that it took to essentially um, take bits and pieces of those various chains and then just kind of make it your own in a publicly running testnet as well. Um, it's definitely interesting in how much... Uh, time and effort you've put into the engineering of this and yeah it's yeah, it's, uh, it's also kind of interesting you. in how you've um, built a like an independent perspective of all of these and how you've kind of continuously picked and choose like the various aspects that you liked and yeah it's it's going to be interesting where you go forward with this. Um, um, is there anything else that you, within your future roadmap or something else that you've recently launched and announced that you'd like to make known to our listeners? Um, yes, yes. Thank you for that that summary. Um, it all it all comes down to decentralized governance. You know, it's the beautiful thing about having a large community of masternode holders and decentralized governance that can help us uh, in our process. And one of the, uh, I think, key insights that we've had that lately that we just announced um, 
quite recently we added to our roadmap that we will be launching Energy X, which is uh, an exchange that we're building. So we're building new blockchains, we're building our own exchange, we're, we're growing in uh, every direction we, we can that makes sense, that is, uh, that is a smart way to, to go. And an en energy exchange is something that uh, we see as being tremendously valuable in the future. Um, there's a lot of, I think, there's a lot of ground to cover on, on improving some of these, these various aspects of uh, the whole cryptocurrency ecosystem. So it's been- I'm curious, since a, you are building off venture. of uh, the Ethereum DeFi model, are you going to go the decentralized exchange route or are you going to go more of like a Coinbase custodial exchange route? Yeah, so we're, um, we're going to build a centralized exchange at least first, and part of the reason for that is some of the uh, some of the challenges around decentralized exchanges. Um, we may, you know, I think one of the things that that we've seen so far in the market is that um, in many ways decentralized exchanges are, are uh, still shied away from by some big players, and, and maybe. Um, not quite ready for for prime time yet. I think right. there's a little Binance bit of, is uh, experimenting research. with a decentralized exchange now, though. Binance is, and yeah. the fact that some large exchanges like um, Coinbase and Gemini they have their own um, Ethereum ERC twenty token as a stablecoin is kind of like them dipping a foot into the decentralized exchange world as well, right? So I know they're not. Let's say Absolutely. Binance isn't going to turn yeah. off their Sorry. main centralized exchange yet, but they're definitely experimenting with it. Yes, exactly, and it's a, it's a really it's a cool thing because there's uh, you know just like every every area of the whole crypto space, which is just a constantly phenomenally humbling uh, thing to be a part of because of all of the brilliant people inventing inventing new and amazing things. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of really cool stuff going on in that in that arena, and we actually you know are looking at, at specific pieces of decentralized exchange infrastructure. Uh, we do intend to launch a stablecoin on our uh, next generation blockchain on Energy 3.0. Um, some of those pieces of, of stablecoin architecture depend on not only smart contracts but decentralized exchanges and the implementation of uh, how those two things can can interact and um that's that's something that we have as well on our roadmap so but when i'm talking about energy x specifically i'm talking about launching a, a centralized exchange first um that's something that we are have started planning and started work towards building um but yeah absolutely decentralized exchange is something that's on our radar as well but that's not uh, not what energy x is as our, our primary focus for building an exchange at the moment awesome yeah, it's uh, it's been great talking to you, Ryan, and um, I'm looking forward to hearing some updates as you go forward. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Thanks, Lucian. It was great talking to you. Great. Good talking to you as well.